0: Hello and welcome back in this episode. uh, We're going to be looking at how we can apply virtue ethics to everyday life. So we're going to be focusing on theft. We're going to be focusing on lying, not to you, but an example of how we apply virtue. (laughs) That was a terrible gag, but I'm sticking with it. And a human issue of ethics and a animal issue of ethics. So what sort of things do we need to consider when we are applying virtue ethics is what I think we should start with before we get into the thick of it.
1: Yeah, so um, which virtues are to be taken account of or developed in the situation that idea is really important because remember um Aristotle's not teleological it's not just like what's going to happen at the end yeah it's character based how strategy? can you be better as a person how are you going to be how are you going to be better so don't deal with his whole list of um virtues yeah that wouldn't be that wouldn't be yeah, helpful yeah just think about the ones you're going to like, yeah so apply. Some,
0: some will be applicable some will not
1: yeah exactly so if you were talking about a war you might not talk about um wittiness in the ethics of war but you might talk about things like courage
0: yeah you also so uh, as well as the virtues, you need to uh, identify which vices of excess and which vices of deficiency might uh, rear their heads in yeah. this scenario. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you are ideally wanting to be virtuous, but you also need to consider excess and deficiency at the yeah. same point.
1: Um, you also need to think about how the possible actions available will encourage good habits, a good character, um, both for the individuals and for the society as a whole.
0: Okay? Yeah, because as as like Efron would sing, we're all in this together.
1: Yeah, so when you're applying it to a, to a situation, just think well, what would virtuous people do in this situation? And so, how would this benefit
0: society? Yeah,
1: and um, what are the motives are for the various courses of action that could be taken, whether there are factors in the situation that we cannot account for by using virtue theory also. So it could be you're in a, there's a situation where, well, actually, maybe virtue ethics isn't that helpful here. Maybe I actually just need some strict rules in order to make the right decision.
0: Yeah, and that's a really good point, because that golden mean that we talked about in episode two, that isn't a hard and fast rule it can move for different people so like you said yeah, rules aren't necessarily helpful when we're thinking about virtue ethics and remember the list of virtues is finite there are 12 virtues on there so they're not going to fit into every single scenario No, at best you're going to end up with two or three but at worst you're going to struggle to get one of those so it's worth remembering when we're applying them we're applying best fit for Aristotle's virtue ethics anyway Without further ado then, let's crack on to our first ethical issue. Theft! Stealing! Stealing. You just stole my line! (laughs) That was cheesy. And I'm going to leave it in. So, uh, with virtue ethics, the focus is not so much on doing what in a particular situation is right, but, as you said, the development of a person's character over their lifetime.
1: Yeah, in Aristotle's view, people do not become morally good by wading their way through moral dilemmas, but by learning how to act, um, that in any situation um, they will enc- they encounter something, they've got to try and behave virtuously. So as we've seen, this is achieved by
0: habit. habit. Durant, we are, yeah. we repeatedly do.
1: Yeah, so going to the gym, if you do it all the time, you're developing that good habit and you're getting healthy, okay? And it's the same with your morality. So you can just, you can practice being good. And that's kind of it really, isn't it? You can just, you can practice being good. Good. So theft.
0: Now Aristotle, he is very clear cut. He is explicit. Mm -hmm. Okay. He has, I was going to say literally no time for theft, but the theft that he doesn't have (laughs) time for is this. I'm going to pass over to Aristotle himself for a minute with a little excerpt from Nicomachean Ethics.
1: Not every
0: action. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> not we'll carry on. I'm sure that's how he would have It sounded. sounds like Attenborough. <laughs> uh, not every action or every passion admits of the mean. For some have names that are immediately associated with baseness. For example, spitefulness, shamelessness, envy, and when it comes to the actions, adultery, theft. And murder. For all these things and those like them are spoken of as themselves base rather than just their excesses or deficiencies.
1: Then theft, to kind of put this simply, is just is always a base action. And just as there is no way one can commit adultery well or not well, um, you can't steal well or not well. It's just straight <laughs> up wrong. Yeah, no one likes it. No one likes a burglar. Yeah, it's true. And Aristotle particularly doesn't, because he appears to be
0: even more hardline on theft <laughs> than Aquinas. <laughs> He's got the Bible to back him up. I mean, imagine
1: being more hardline on something than Aquinas. <laughs> it's, a, it's a stretch,
0: but it does show that Aquinas is influenced by Aristotle. Mm. And that's worth saying later yeah. in your natural moral law essays, if you wanted to. Um, but yes, even if it's to save your own life, he <laughs> says you can't allow to steal even if it's to save your own life.
1: Which is pretty harsh. So the problem is that we cannot ask Aristotle whether he would forbid stealing in such a context,
0: because that context was never a thing for Aristotle. We need to remember yeah. his uh, his contextual yeah. living. The
1: philosophers are not detached from the world that is around them, so they they. I mean hard. Aristotle yeah. was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, <laughs> So you've got to remember that um, Aristotle talked about the virtue of justice in sort of two senses. So first, in a broad sense, meaning the whole system of like laws and rules and customs. But secondly, in like the narrower sense, where justice is about fairness. So, for example, in restoring the distribution of gain and loss between two people, where the loss has occurred through theft. It's perhaps this kind of theft which Aristotle is thinking about, where he says that theft is always a basic act.
0: Yeah, so it's it's the theft where it's yours... I want it. Yeah. Whereas a theft for sustenance, a theft for food that if you're going to starve, it's not talked about and it's not contemplated in Nicomachean ethics. So it's hard to apply because Aristotle didn't give a a line on any other theft than a politician stealing from a politician or a philosopher stealing from a philosopher. So, and that was his audience, remember he spoke to those people he didn't speak to the masses so theft between members of that class that would be viewed as base and terrible however it might be worth trying to justify that theft is acceptable under some circumstances and this would link into justice
1: yeah because a lot of the time you have to think with your ethical theories that well aristotle didn't actually comment on this so if you're asked what aristotle would have said i mean well who knows because we we don't know what he would have said but you can you can infer what a virtuous person might do if they're using virtue ethics um in a situation like my family's starving gonna nick some bread
0: yeah So. so yeah so if we're gonna use an example of that To justify theft you might say that the redistribution of wealth or something like that might be a good thing, but if it if the intention is for personal profit and to make lots of money, it wouldn't be right.
1: Exactly.
0: Lovely. Brilliant. Next. Lying's up next then. So we need to take a look at lying and what it means in a broader context before we look at telling porky pies.
1: Yeah, don't think of lying as always just you telling a fib. Lying can also mean presenting yourself in a way that is untruthful or is a distortion of the truth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if we were going to equate some virtues to lying, we'd obviously look at the two virtues of honesty and truthfulness first. Mm. Now, obviously, you would think that would be a blanket banning of telling any fibs but like ian just said it's about acting correctly as well because if you don't act correctly you are lying in the way you're acting not just what you're saying and it's really easy for that lying whether it's how you act or what you're saying to become habitual so for example lying to avoid punishment
1: yeah think about if you've If you're the sort of person who doesn't do their homework and you're like, oh, sir, sorry, I didn't do my homework. This happened. Oh, sir, sorry, I didn't do my homework. Oh, this other thing. I couldn't do it because of this happened. Are you a habitual liar when it comes to your homework? And as a result,
0: (laughs) are you distorting your own perception of reality? Because that would impact, again, on your intellectual virtues and not just your moral virtues. Okay, but it's for lying as well isn't just a blanket condemnation. It links to an exaggeration of self and under-exaggeration of self. Mm. So are you someone who lies through your actions? Are you saying, I'm able to do this and then can't deliver it because that could lead to just resentment from someone else? Or do you under-exaggerate and don't allow yourself to thrive and actually reach your own golden mean, which would be, for you, the truth?
1: Yeah. So by not meeting those standards, you are, in fact,
0: um, producing
1: a falsehood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, in relation to this,
0: the social interaction is important, too, because truth enables all of these virtues to work together. If you're truthful with yourself, both intellectually and morally, you're able to thrive and reach that virtuous or functional Soul,
1: yeah. Which remember for Aristotle is the whole purpose to um, to be behaving in this way. So if you're not aiming for that golden mean, for that um, for that that good point, then you're falling into vice or um, excess of deficiency of excess. Yeah, yeah. So
0: we need the truth. For example, to reach those means, we need temperance and
1: courage in order to face the truth. Sometimes it's hard to hear. Hmm. So, like, imagine if um, your friend um, cheated on their boyfriend or girlfriend, and Surely. you didn't really know what to do, and you were like, Oh, should I tell the other person that their boyfriend has Definitely cheated? Definitely encouraged
0: in that sense. Yeah. A good friend would tell, but a bad friend would probably welch. Yeah.
1: What a word, welch. Yeah. i use used that for years. <laughs>
0: so, another one, high mindedness and friendliness. We need that in order to give the truth to others. So, like I just said, if you're a good friend and you care about the well being of your friend who's just been cheated on, you need that high mindedness and the friendliness to do what's best for them and tell them the truth. Another one just resentment. You would feel just resentment. When not given the truth. So if you were the friend that had been cheated on, you could feel just resentment about being cheated on, for sure. Yeah, you'd be pretty annoyed about that, no, not nice at all. not good. But you could also feel just resentment to the person who didn't tell you and could save you those emotional hurts. Yeah. Okay? So, therefore, when we talk about lying and if we try and apply it to a situation... We're not just talking about telling porky pies. Yeah. We're talking about how you act day to day and making sure that your virtues are approaching as close to the golden mean as you can.
1: Yeah, so in this sense, I guess we're kind of really talking about that that idea of sincerity, that idea of truthfulness, of honesty, of presenting yourself as you are, as accurately as possible. Yeah, and again,
0: working in tandem with those intellectual virtues. That, all that said... That would be really good if you were uh, uh, aiming for those top grades, by the way. (laughs) That sort of uh, in-depth analysis of lying in relation to virtue ethics is top-notch. If we're looking at those CB grades, then we can give you an example to work from in relation to lying. So we're going to give you the example of the axe murderer at the door, which always comes in handy. So this is the scenario. A mad axeman comes to your door and asks whereabouts of his victim. Who is your friend? Oh no! And yeah, oh, also yeah. <laughs> Shock! And who's hiding inside your house? So yeah. your friends there. <laughs> your friends there, and a man comes to the door and wants to murder him.
1: Yeah. Are you going to lie to him or not, Matt? What are you going to do?
0: Good. So if you look back at lying, um, if we were going to do this in regards to natural moral law, lying is like no, you can't do it. Mm. You're not allowed. Aquinas is pretty straight lying, but. He's crafty as Aquinas. He says yeah. you can you can withhold the truth. You can give him a, an alternate truth. It sounds like alternate facts for the news <laughs> at the moment. But l- let's go to the alternate facts. And you could say, "Well, I did see my friend, but I saw him two hours ago at the football." Yeah. So you've told the truth there, but in a kind of roundabout not current way. truth. It's a, yeah, it's a past truth. So, so you've not lied. You've just told them something that's. Not going to help him kill your friend.
1: Yeah. So with virtue ethics, what would happen is the virtues involved are friendship, loyalty and honour that you should show to your friend. And then you have to balance those against the honesty and truthfulness you should show to other people. So, i.e. the axe murderer.
0: Yeah. Is he deserving of truth? Yeah. So, probs not. No. So, yeah. we, We could maybe justify this.
1: Yeah, so if your character is truthful and honest, then you will be justified in telling a lie on this occasion because in this situation, um, lying and dishonest becomes the mean. So telling a lie in this situation is actually a virtue because by doing so, you're helping save the life of your friend. So common sense would tell you that in such a situation, saving your friend's life is the right thing to do. And furthermore, like telling a lie on this occasion will not lead you to become an untruthful or dishonest character in the future. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's not habitual. Remember, it's all about habits. It's all about building that character. Could you imagine
0: if it had to become habitual and every time someone knocked on your door, you could expect them to ask. What a world we live in. What a
1: world, okay. Um, But fortunately, that doesn't happen. So you make the decision through your own virtuous character as a man of practical wisdom or a woman of practical wisdom. Um, The same would hold if you saved the life of a stranger, in which case you would also practice the virtues of empathy, compassion and understanding. Good. So
0: basically... You can lie, but your justification behind lying is with hitting certain virtues <laughs> over truthfulness and sincerity.
1: Yeah, so just remember this idea of habit.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't become a habit because that thing wouldn't really happen. So you can justify it so long as it's in relation to different virtues that aren't truth and aren't sincerity. Yeah, easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Next, we're going to look at one of the many uh, human issues that we face when looking at this course. We're going to focus solely on the issue of euthanasia and assisted suicide, though. So if we're going to try and apply virtue ethics to this, we need to understand the definitions and we need to look at them as two separate cases. So for euthanasia, it comes from the Greek word meaning good death. Okay, so to euthanize someone means to induce a gentle and easy death. Euthanasia is a deliberate termination and shortening of a life, usually by a doctor or the person themselves in some cases. So, voluntary euthanasia is where someone chooses and is mentally stable to do so to end their own life. Okay, it comes at great pain because normally it's with a terminal condition. Now, if we're going to apply the virtues to that, We could say that, you know what, the most courageous thing to do would be to not go on and suffer, but in fact to end your own life. This might mean that your family are saved the expense or pain or emotion of watching you deteriorate through your illness. So really, you could say that it is. However, some people might view it slightly differently and say that, in fact, that's a vice of deficiency and say, if you're not willing to fight through this, then you're displaying cowardice. So really, with regards to euthanasia, you are focusing on your justification rather than many of the virtues themselves.
1: Yeah, because you can use the virtues to go either way, I guess. So is it courageous to um, to go along the path of euthanasia or is it courageous to continue fighting both Oh, courageous options, really. Yeah, it
0: does just depend on your viewpoint. So wherever you sit on it, in your own opinion, you can justify either side for euthanasia, as long as you are good at doing so.
1: Yeah. So the next um, thing to talk about in terms of definitions for things is assisted suicide. So assisted suicide refers to voluntary death with the help of someone else, just like in euthanasia, um, sometimes with a doctor who gives a dose of a um, a lethal drug. Um, And assisted suicide, therefore, is the same as voluntary euthanasia. But there's an exception, and this exception is important, and it's that the person's condition does not have to be life-threatening. So it could be a person who is depressed, it could be a person who for some reason just doesn't want to live anymore. So it's different in the sense that there's not that terminal illness. Yeah,
0: physical illness as such.
1: Yeah, so the ethical issues include, as with voluntary euthanasia, this question of the right to die. So the question of whether or not those who assist with the suicide have committed murder and the effects on human society where the right to assisted suicide is granted –
0: Good. So it's worth saying that in the UK, this is very illegal still.
1: Yeah, you even, can't do this.
0: Yeah, yeah e- even if you go and assist someone to be euthanized in another country, such as taking a visit to Dignitas, that is still very illegal in the UK.
1: Yeah. Um, but from 2002, euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide were judged to be within the law in the Netherlands if the attending physician acts in accordance with specified conditions. So, for example... The patient has to make the request. Suffering has to be um, demonstrably unbearable um, and hopeless. A second physician has to agree, and the details of the case have to be reported to a special court. Yeah,
0: so it has to meet certain parameters.
1: Yeah, but it is something that's possible.
0: Possible, but again, in the UK, not legal.
1: So we can give you an example of this. Um, there was a film released in 2012, which if you want to do a bit of extracurricular um, stuff, Um, you can watch this film that's called Amour, which is the French for love. Oui, oui. (laughs) Oui, oui. Um, So this film is about a married couple called Anne and George, who are both ex-piano teachers and they live in their 80s in a flat in Paris. Um, The film's in French, so you have to watch the subtitles, but um, I've seen the film. It is a really, really good film. So what happens is Anne... She suffers a stroke and undergoes surgery, leaving her uh, paralysed and unable to play the piano. So the thing that she really loves, she's no longer able to do it. Anne tells George that she doesn't want to go on living, but George tries to look after her. Um, and then she suffers a second stroke. And she also now has severe dementia and is incapable of speech. This is heartbreaking. It is. It's a really heartbreaking film, but it's it was a really good film. Um, So both George as a carer looking after his dying loved one and his wife, Anne, are undergoing unbearable suffering. At the end of the film, George tells the non-responsive Anne a story, and then he kills her by smothering her with a pillow. But he then adorns the bed with flowers in his last act of love for her. So the the question is in relation to virtue ethics is, has George acted virtuously by smothering his wife with a pillow? And... In lots of senses, I mean, the answer is yes, he has. He's he's taken away suffering. Um, he has enabled his wife to, uh, to achieve what she wanted, which was to die, after she's no longer able to do the things she loves. She's got dementia. Her brain's deteriorating. She's incapable of speech and communicating. Um, so... George doing this to his wife, although very, very painful for him, was a real act of devotion, a real act of courage, sincerity, um, loyalty, loyalty uh, a, an act yeah. of love. Um, so, so I would say, yeah, George did the right thing.
0: Okay, but again, on the other side of that coin, you could argue that George didn't act virtuously. Yeah,
1: of course. You can say, well, George just killed his wife.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a horrible way of looking <laughs> yeah. at it. But it's, it's the factual way of looking at it. But you could say then that, yeah, he hasn't acted courageously. Courageously would be to continue to care, despite the suffering of both of them. Yeah.
1: Um, but there's no doubt that Aristotle would place... Justice above charity and love, since he regards murder in the same light as theft and adultery.
0: So it's one of those things that could never be justified.
1: Yeah. So in the we case, you never do it
0: in a right way. Yeah.
1: So, but in the case of George and Anne, George could have opted to take a stand based on courage and justice by not killing her and by sharing her pain. Nevertheless, the competing virtues of charity and love, also mercy and compassion, suggest that George's act is not murder at all, but is the kind of justifiable homicide that happens when people defend themselves from attack. Um, so in this case, the attack is from the twin enemies of stroke, dementia, in which case we can perhaps hold that assisted suicide in this case is not murder at all, but a kind of justified homicide.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and it's not as if, as you can see with the act of adorning the bed with flowers and things like that, he feels sincerity and and regret behind it. Yeah. So maybe this is one of those times where there is virtuous intention behind what he's done. So George is justified
1: in a sense. Yeah, I mean, but I'm on George's side. But. You, yeah,
0: emotionally, <laughs> I think any of us would be on George's yeah. side. But as you can see there, there is no, again, and this you can see is a bit of a growing trend if we're going to try and apply virtue ethics to particular, particular situations. It depends on how you justify it. It depends on where you see the virtues. Now, for euthanasia, you could justify it. The assisted suicide is a little bit harder to
1: justify because... Because there's no like suffering, like terminal illness, etc.
0: And because of Aristotle's view, you can't murder well. Yeah. You can't steal well. You can't commit adultery well. They're always wrong. They're base. But it depends on how you want to justify it. I wouldn't try and justify uh, assisted suicide if I was you in an essay. I would go down the euthanasia... Uh, point of view if you want to justify it in some way but like I said you can condemn it as well although it does make you a little bit mean on George because it is a terribly sad story. Let's move on then to our last application which is Virtue ethics towards a issue of non-human life. Yeah. So, this is, oh, go uh, on. Oh. over each other. Go on.
1: Use of animals as food. Uh, so, a topic close to your ho- yeah, household. I know vegetarians in my house. Um, so intensive farming. Do you want to tell us what intensive farming is? Yeah. Having worked on
0: a farm in a previous life. Well, previous life earlier <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, intensive farming. It's about producing maximum yield of either crops or produce, uh, whether that's animals. Or not. So, there are a whole range of different issues that we can talk about in relation to intensive farming, such as the environmental issues, such as deforestation and global warming that's caused by it. Um, but to keep it simple, we're going to focus on the animal welfare side of it.
1: The two parts of this issue amount to the same thing, since the most widespread use of animals is for food found in the context of intensive farming. We basically do loads of really, really horrible things to animals in order to have burgers um, and like the kind of like fast food that you get from like all sorts of different places. Animals have their tails cut off, cows have their horns cut off, um, pigs have their teeth sewn out. Like just loads and loads of gross things. Okay, so we don't need to go into the details, but. Let's look at some ethical issues in relation to it. So
0: if we look at uh, animal treatment through the farming, we can think about the moral perspective. So we inflict pain and suffering as humans on these animals in order for some aim towards us, so our sustenance. But do we or should we have the right to do so to These cognitive beings they yeah, have it's kind reason, of like <laughs> they, ha- they have some thought, but not reason.
1: Yeah, it's like, what, what why are we the superior animal over them? Exactly.
0: Um, Another one is whether or not animals have an intri- intrinsic right to life. If we looked at it from a sanctity of mm-hmm. life perspective, then all lives created by God, then surely they have a right to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can look at that, also, we could look at it from a different perspective. Lots of humans around the world are starving, but actually the grain that is needed to produce a, a, a cattle for slaughter, that grain could easily be used to feed
1: yeah, loads of lots, human beings. lots of human beings
0: yeah. uh, instead of feeding one cow in order to be slaughtered
1: for meat. So there is an ethical point to be taken there as well. So let's go on what Aristotle would say and of course he would go back to what we were talking about in episode 2 which is that hierarchy of souls in which plants are for animal use and animals are therefore for human use because we're we're that top thing. We're the ones who reason, so therefore we are distinct from all the animals. I suppose we can use them as we see fit with that reason. Yeah, cows eat grass and humans eat cows. Um, there were no factory farms in Aristotle's time, though, and no scientific procedures in this modern sense that we have now. Although Aristotle did dissect animals as part of his own investigations into animal behaviour. So
0: he's definitely used animals for his own gain, then?
1: Yeah, exactly. So he would probably say, in in this case, that, well, yeah, they're there to be used. We are at the top, they are underneath... Therefore, you know, do what you want. Okay, cool. So we could use it in a scientific
0: point of view, but I suppose Aristotle wasn't about... There was farming when Aristotle was about, let's not be naive, but there wasn't factory farming. No, as, nowhere on near the, in On, the, same on way. the scale that we're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So if we were to modernise it in a, in a modern context, then maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying this for sure, maybe we can apply some virtues to it. But none of Aristotle's 12 virtues, having looked through the list, actually, We might want to use a a modern virtue of compassion. And and I suppose one of the ways we might say that animal farming is wrong nowadays is that we don't show that compassion to the animals because they're kept in horrific conditions. Uh, For example, male chicks are murdered because they can't produce eggs in future and so on and so forth. So if we're going from a purely Aristotle viewpoint, from him, we can use animals because we are in that hierarchy of souls, we're at the top and we have the reason and we can use them as long as we can see reason for that. Mm. But, maybe if we were to modernise it, we wouldn't be able to justify it under more modern virtues. Which, reminder, aren't in Aristotle's list of virtues. Yeah,
1: but if he was using, if you were using compassion, for example, your question then would be, well, it's not whether we have control over animals, but we would ask maybe, well, is this animal suffering? And if the animal is experiencing pain then your virtue of compassion might lead you to say well factory farming is not the nicest things so and maybe we should stop it
0: excellent so again we're able to sit on the fence that's one of the issues with virtue ethics Wonderful. So that's our last of the applications. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's clarified how we might approach some different ethical scenarios in relation to virtue ethics. Next up, we're going to look at the strengths of virtue ethics which we've not uh, come on to uh, much
1: i don't know i think it's all right i think it's a good theory
0: yeah but yeah. i think we have of, the weaknesses have shown themselves a little bit more than the strengths yeah. so actually the next episode might be really beneficial <laughs> yeah. to actually see and identify those strengths i hope you join us and thank you and ta see you later oh, flipping out we're getting good at this